I'd like to have you turn with me. Wow, that was a lot of announcements. I burned a lot of time here. I better get going. Uh, Colossians chapter 3. My intention was to continue on as we've been doing in, in the book of Colossians. But I, I, I came to a halt on, on verse 11 for just a very significant reason, as we'll see today. Focusing our attention on the phrase, but Christ is all and in all. And today our text will be verse 11 and verse 24, and we're going to combine those at the very end of the study. But uh, I'd like to read what we studied last time, which was verses 8 through 11. For context's sake, I want you to see the context of where we're going with this. And so we begin reading in verse 8 of Colossians 3, but now you also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication, out of your mouth, lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. And then in verse 24, the next to the last verse of the chapter, it says, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance for, and this is a section I want you to see, for Ye serve the Lord Christ. So, as I said, it was my intention to begin today's study in the continuing and following text of Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17, with a, with a quick look back at the phrase, but Christ is all and in all, with the goal of clarifying those words in contrast to its usage and misinterpretation by Gnostic New Age proponents and teachers past and present. We've been dealing with this, of course, since the very beginning of our study in, uh, in Colossians. And it, it came to my attention yesterday we, that we actually began our study in Colossians in, in February of this year. So we've, we've actually taken quite a, uh, quite a trip through this very important book. Uh, the, so doing that in itself could be done in just a few minutes, you know, just kind of going back and, and dealing with why this this phrase is so important that Paul gave us, but Christ is all and in all, and how it should not be misinterpreted in any, in any way. But the more that I, I began to look at the phrase, that the more I realized the necessity for us to dig even deeper with all spiritual intention as to its meaning in our lives as believers in Jesus Christ. Now, the Apostle Paul, at the very onset of his letter to the church in Colossae, uh, illustrated for us the very meaning of this phrase. If Jesus Christ is sovereign over all, if Jesus Christ is superior over all, and if he is sufficient over all. Now remember that what we began with at, at, at the onset of this, of this study is that the, the, the real theme is that Jesus Christ uh, uh, you know, is, is sovereign. Therefore, you know, we're dealing with the sovereignty of Christ, the superiority of Christ overall, the sufficiency of Christ overall. If he is these things, then we can best understand Paul's grand statements pertaining to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ when we read, for example, back in chapter 1, verse 13 and following, 
Speaking of God who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who, and and take note of these things, who is the image of the invisible God, the image, the, the perfect stamp of the image of God, the firstborn of every creature, in other the, the, the prototype of every, of every creature. For by him were all things created. I want you to focus on how many times we see this little word all throughout this study today. For by him, Jesus Christ, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things. And by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. In other words, that he might be the chief, the supreme, the first in rank and influence over all. As I've been saying time and time again, Jesus Christ is not only the Son of God, he is God the Son. Paul made that very clear. And then in chapter 2, verse 3, Paul says, In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We cannot separate Jesus from that word all. Colossians 2, verses 9 and 10. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Verse 10, and ye are complete in him. We are complete in him. Let me give you a quick little hint here. Jesus is everything. Jesus is everything. You are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power. And that brings us to Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. We spent a a good number of weeks in these four verses. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear. Then shall ye also appear with him in glory. The context will become even clearer as we contrast the various philosophies that are foundational to certain forms of Gnosticism and New Age philosophy, in particular pantheism and panentheism. Now I'm just going to give you a brief little look at these two uh, aspects of, of uh, Gnosticism. Uh, because they're not, just, they're not just philosophical ideals or principles. They are religious ideals and principles. Pantheism, for example, is the ph- philosophic religious doctrine that God is the transcendent or mystical reality of which the material universe and human beings are only manifestations. I know that sounds kind of weird. Just, just follow along. Because this involves... This mystical reality of God involves a denial of his personality. It involves the denial of his personality and expresses a tendency to identify God and nature. 
In other words, God is equivalent to nature or the physical universe. That they are essentially the same thing. Thus, each individual human being part of the universe or nature is part of God. So pantheism is God is all and all is God. Sometimes you hear people say, well, you know, God is in that flower. God is in that tree. God is in the chair you're sitting on. God is, you know, and, and God is in you. So what does that bring to mind in the New Age movement? Well, that uh, Christ divine within, you know. That I am Christ because Christ is in me. But that's false. That's false. Let's take up uh, the, the next one, panentheism. Panentheism. Pan meaning all. N is in. And of course, theism is uh, theos, God. So panentheism means all in God. Now, that is the belief that God is the supreme effect of the universe. That God is everything in the universe, but God also is greater than the universe. Except for this, that events and changes in the universe affect and change God. When things happen in the universe, that's going to change God. As the universe grows and, new, and learns, God also increases in knowledge and being. I don't know about you, but that's not my God. And that's not our God. Panentheism is unbiblical since it denies God's transcendent nature, that God is over and above all that he created. Not in what he created, but over and above all that he created. So it denies his transcendent nature, says that God is changing, confuses creation with God, denies miracles, and denies the incarnation of Christ along with his atoning sacrifice. But our God is over and above all. He is over and above all of his creation. And our God is eternal. That's what pantheism and panentheism cannot understand. That God is, is eternal. That God had no beginning and no end. Pantheism says that, well, God and, and nature is together, so they cannot actually tell you how things came to being. They cannot. We can, very, very carefully, with one verse. You know what it is? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. If he created the heaven and the earth, then he's not in the earth and the earth is not in him. Then he would in some way have to be a created being. But he is before all of that. And then, of course, our God never changes. How about Psalm 102, verses 23 through 27? Think about these particular verses. When the psalmist says, He weakened my strength in the way he shortened my days. I said, Oh my God, take me not away in the midst of my days. Thy years are throughout all generations. The psalmist recognizes that the God's years are, 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 are much longer than ours. But then he goes on and says, Of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. Therefore he is stating now that God is before the things that were made. 
And then he says, they shall perish, but thou shall endure. Why? Because he has no beginning and no end. And then he, gives, then he says, yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment. They'll grow old like a garment. As a vesture shall thou change them, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same. You see, everything else changes, but God never changes. Thou art the same, and thy years shall have no end. And the prophet, in the prophet Malachi, it makes it even more clear. God himself says, for I am the Lord. Malachi 3 verse 6. For I am the Lord, I change not. That's pretty clear. So if you have these philosophies that are saying, well, you know, the things happen and change in the world, and that makes God change, then, then they're false. It's a completely false philosophy. It's a, a completely false premise. Philosophically, religiously, and otherwise. Bottom line is, scripturally, it's wrong. Because God never changes, and he said so. I change not. And Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, is is a verse of scripture that every one of us should memorize. Jesus Christ the same, yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. He never changes. That says he is God in the flesh. God never changes. Jesus never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Which means, by the way, that his word never changes. His truth never changes. And so this brings us back to our texts in verses 11 and 24 of chapter 3 of Colossians, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, Circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. And in verse 24, for you serve the Lord Christ, that last phrase, you serve the Lord Christ. We'll come back to that. Just to think of this one verse and that section that says, but Christ is all and in all. I think we are all aware that, that many jewels have been found in the history of man that can be looked upon without realizing that their worth would be the price of empires, even though they could be carried in the palm of one's hand. More than even that is the worth of this text. Christ is all and in all. In all of history, in all of time and eternity, In every plan and purpose of God, in every tongue and language, Christ is all and in all. It is extremely important to note that Paul does not say that Christ is all and in all to all men. That's what makes it a fallacy for people in the New Age movement to say that God is saying through Paul that God is in all things. Because that is not what Paul said. That is not the context of his message. He is saying that in Christ, there's not Jew, there's not Greek, there's not barbarian, or even worse than barbarian, Scythians. There's not bond, there's not free, but Christ is everything. That's the first all. Christ is everything. And folks, the context continues to be clear. If you are risen with Christ... 
And Christ is in you, as we, as we saw in, in chapter 1, verse 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you are risen with Christ, then that in all is all who believe. That's the context. And that's the clarity here that Paul gives. Christ is all and in all. Speaking to those who are risen with Christ, who are seeking those things which are above, who are setting their affection on things above, who know that they're dead and their life is hid with Christ and God. That's the context. Christ is everything and in all of us who believe. That's the distinguishing mark here. The best way to understand this today is that there are some to whom Christ is nothing at all. There are some to whom Christ is nothing at all. They might make mention of him blasphemously, use his name as a curse word, use his name to make an oath, as it were, but to them Christ is nothing at all. They sense no need for a Savior who would atone for their sins. They're completely and altogether outside and beyond the bounds of acceptable behavior. An old phrase they used to say, they're beyond the pale. Beyond the bounds of acceptable behavior. Were they here today, they would consider everything being said about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as wearisome and boring at best. There's nothing boring about Jesus. There's nothing wearisome about our Lord and Savior. Nothing boring about his word from Genesis to Revelation. That's why we love God's word. That's why we study God's word. That's why we honor and cherish God's word here. That's why we're not afraid to teach God's word from Genesis to Revelation. And the fact of the matter is, we're not confused about it. If we trust him to teach us through the power of his Holy Spirit. But how sad it is when you think about the coming judgment and that there are many to whom Christ is nothing. We hear in Matthew chapter 16, even before we get to the, the prophetic passages in Matthew 24. But in Matthew 16, Jesus in verse 24, it says, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited? if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Now get this in verse 27, for the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. And don't get the idea that the, uh, that the rewards are, are all going to be good for good works. 
to every man according to his works. Remember, there are good works and there are bad works. There will be rewards for bad works. There will be many people who will have to stand before the judgment seat of God. The white throne judgment of God. To account for everything that they did in rejection of Christ, in rejection of his word, in rejection of God, in rejection of everything that is good. That is what those who see Christ as nothing at all will have to face. In 2 Timothy 4 verse 1, Paul in his last letter, in his last, in the very last chapter of this last letter of Paul, says to Timothy, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. He shall judge the living and the dead at his appearing. And his kingdom. And then Peter chimes in and he says in 1 Peter 4 verses 4 and 5. Speaking of those who consider Christ as nothing at all. Wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot speaking evil of you. You remember your old friends that you used to hang around with. That you know that you guys did the same things all the time together. And then you came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And they keep wondering how come you don't hang with us anymore. Notice what he says. They shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. He's ready to judge. Even now he's ready. He's just waiting for the Father to give the word. What an awful and terrible thing it will be to die without God, to die without Christ, without hope, without mercy, without a mediator, without an advocate, without an intercessor. Yet all of those are available To us in Christ. To die and to be lost. To fall into the flames reserved for the devil and his angels. Too many churches today. Seem to want to know what the people want to hear. They want to teach about your best life now. Well, if you don't know Jesus, there's no best life at all. If you're without Christ in this world, there will be no life at all. This is a message that we have to preach, that we have to teach, that we have to remind ourselves about. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 to 10, Paul says, Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what that tells us in that phrase? We might miss it if we don't look at it very carefully. And that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will have no excuse because they know the gospel or they've heard the gospel. But they do not obey the gospel and come to Christ. 
who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. By the way, let me remind you, that's New Testament. That's Paul dealing with prophetic issues, things that are going to come, things that are now closer to us than they were to him. Closer to us in time. So that is what will happen to those to whom Christ is nothing at all. But then consider that there are also those to whom Christ is something, but not much. Christ is something to them, but, but not much. You know, when, when hearing things concerning the judgment day of God, as we've just spoke on a little bit, or when, conc- when concerning or hearing things concerning uh, the issue of death and the coming condemnation, those who, to whom Christ is something but not much, those, those are, they're, they're scared to death when they hear these things. They wonder, I wonder, is that going to be for me? They're filled with, with anxious dread at the, at the prospect of dying. And, and so they, they seek a comforting, calming message. They seek an improvement from the heaviness of such a message. They're seeking some kind of refuge or haven for their frightened souls. They seek a faith or a religion using Christ as a deliverer and nothing more. He means something to them, but not much. And sadly, the world is still practically everything to them. Its pleasures, its, its pace, even its respite and rewards... They will have special days. They consider that those special days, maybe there's hope in those special days. Days like Lent or the season of Lent. Maybe Good Friday, Easter, and even Christmas. That maybe in them, They will have hope to deliver their souls from judgment. But to them, the Lord Jesus Christ is nothing but just that. On certain days, he's to be revered and respected. At some place, he's to be worshipped for an hour or so, maybe even less. If polls would be taken of people who half-heartedly go to church. They'd say the best church would be the one that only keeps you there for 45 minutes. And if it was just a half an hour, that'd even be better. Really? And in some cases, when they go to churches like this, they do the same thing all that very same time. The Word of God is not preached It's just a feel-good session.
Beyond that, Jesus is nothing at all. The worst may be those to whom Jesus Christ is a mistaken social and political philosophy. And what I share with you about this here in just a moment is one of the reasons why we see such turmoil in our society as well as in our politics today. And I mean this strongly. That we need to be on the side of God's truth more than on the side of man's politics. But you need to listen. The mistaken social political philosophy today are those who completely misrepresent and mischaracterize the Lord. When they consider Jesus Christ as part of their politics. And this is rampant in liberal churches today. Liberation theology is one of the worst things that has ever happened in the church. Because it's taken the minds and hearts of people off of the word of God and placed it upon society. They take the text in verse 11 here, for example. And they warp it into a false and mistaken social, political, economic, and ecclesiastical idea. In other words, they seek to remove all demarcations whatsoever. They remove the the boundaries and, and the borders of all things, national pride and patriotism. You might say, well, I mean, is that important? Well, just ask Israel. It is important. They remove all demarcations of national pride, patriotism, borders and boundaries, even church and churches. Seeking one government for all, seeking one state for all, seeking one religion for all, seeking one world for all. That might sound ideal until you realize that when you read the book of Revelation and actually add to that all of the prophets of the Old Testament, it's pointing to one man. The Antichrist. It's pointing to a one world system. Read Revelation chapter 13. It's pointing to a one world religion. Read Revelation chapter 13. It's pointing to one leader. Read Revelation. Period. They compromise the truth. They issue out false propaganda and insinuation, all the while undermining the Christ that they say that they're serving or that they think that they're serving. And listen, we can be good citizens of the nations where the Lord has placed us while being fully dedicated to the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ without compromise and without fear. We can do that in this nation today and we we need to. And we need to continue until the day of Christ. Lastly, there are those to whom Christ is all and in all, in some things. But it is also some of us too. They do see Jesus as the justifier or the justifier of their souls. They see him as the savior of their souls, but they think of their perseverance as a thing of themselves. They have that come to Jesus moment. And I don't mean to you know, downplay the statement, but you know, people even in, 
in, in sports commentaries and, and political commentary, use that phrase. Well, they had a come to Jesus moment. Oh, really? Folks, there is a come to Jesus moment. You know where that is? When Jesus himself said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But it isn't anything that we can do. We can't just say, Lord, just save me. Please save me. I've had a rough life. I need a new heart. And now when we get saved, we say, okay, Lord, thank you so much. I can take it from here. I mean, I know where you're at, so when I need you, I'll call you. Can you believe that some people actually live that way? That somehow they had something to do with their own, their own salvation. Their salvation is not all of Christ, it is also some of them. You know, I've oftentimes said that the only thing that we bring to our salvation is our sin. That's not a whole lot to be proud of. In fact, that is a whole lot to be humbled by. And in a word, consider what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 3. Folks, if you want to learn any verse of scripture today and memorize it at all, memorize verse 23, for all. Romans 3.23, for all. How many? All. For all have sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's only been one person that is born on this earth that that doesn't apply to. It's Jesus Christ himself. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace. Notice, not his grace plus us. His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There's no room for us there yet. Yet, right? No, there's no room for us at all. Verse 25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, which is uh, the word that means a, a, an atoning sacrifice, through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins, our sins, that are passed through the forbearance of God, not our forbearance, his forbearance, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier. Notice, is there any room for you and me? Not even one little hundredth of an inch. That he might be, <clears throat> that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. There is no room for us in this picture. You know Why? Because we were all emptiness. We were emptiness. Jesus is the fullness. Many times that we study that in, in Colossians. He's the fullness of the Godhead. He's the fullness of all who have believed in him. We are complete in him. Not in us. Romans 10 verses 1 through 4, 
<clears throat> Paul says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Paul had a tremendous heart for Israel, for his people, to come to know their Messiah. He said, for I bear them record that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, and you would wonder, how could they be ignorant of God's righteousness? They had God's word. They had the Holy Scriptures. They had the Hebrew Scriptures. They had it. They read it every week in the, in the, in the, in the temple, in synagogues. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, here's the problem. And going about to establish their own righteousness. That's the problem. Have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. And who is the righteousness of God? Jesus. For Christ, and here it is, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Notice again, Paul is very clear. It isn't just for anyone. You know, God is in all. All who believe. Christ is the goal of the law. Christ is the finish line of the law for righteousness. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, remember these words because we've studied them. For in him, in Jesus, dwelleth all, there's that word again, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power. In whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. It's not our circumcision, it's his. And again, there's no room for us in this picture to say that we help Jesus save us or we had any part of being saved. We if we want to be clear about this, <laughs> we are all filthiness and uncleanness. We were all of that, filthiness and uncleanness when we came to Christ. Isaiah 64, verses 6 through 8. Beautiful passage here. Well, the first part's a little hard to take, but, but it ends in a beautiful verse. Verse 6 says, but we are all. You notice that word all again even here? But we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind, have taken us away. And there is none that calleth upon the name that, that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. For thou hast hid thy face from us and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. Now, when you look at that from the Jewish and the Hebrew mindset, you know that, that they understood one thing. And you could have read it earlier in Isaiah where it, where it tells us that his ear is not heavy, that he cannot hear. The hand's not mighty that he cannot save. But our iniquity has separated us from God. 
So, so they say, thou hast hid thy face from us and has consumed us because of our iniquities. But now in their prayer, but now, O Lord, thou art our father. Oh, if the scribes and the Pharisees had only heard at that time when Jesus was talking about him and the father being one, or the many times that he mentioned the father and they wanted to pick up stones and stone him for it, for blasphemy. Yet here it says, O Lord, thou art our father. We are the clay and thou art the potter. And we all are the work of thy hand. We are not the work of our own hands. We're not the work of our own intellect. Or our own understanding. We are the work of his hand. We have to come to the realization that Jesus Christ is our cleansing. We came dirty. We came filthy. I don't care if the only sin you committed in your life was one thing. Because only one thing, one sin, can take you to eternal separation from God. We came filthy and unclean. But Jesus Christ is our cleansing. 1 John 1 verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ. His son. Cleanseth us. From. All. Sin. His blood. There's no room for us here except to be the recipients of his cleansing if we believe. So let's face this fact courageously today. We are all feeble, we are all weak, and we are all mistaken. Remember this. You have preachers today saying, oh, listen, you're the king's kid. You know, you have... You're, 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 you're little gods because, you know, you're, you're begotten of the Father, so you're little gods too. No, there's only one God. The last thing I want to be is a little God because every time I look at a little God in Scripture, they get judged. I'd rather not be judged that way. I'd rather just say, Lord, your Father, we're your children, but we're also your servants. How thankful we are That because of your mercy, we're your friends too. But we humble ourselves because you're still Lord and you're still God and you're still above all of your creation. So let's face it, we're all feeble. We're weak, mistaken. Even Paul himself said, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So remember that. But remember that God is indeed strong and able and mighty. There's no sense in any way, shape, or form where Christ Jesus has failed and we must then take up and carry uh, carry on from where he left off. No! Our salvation in the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, our salvation is Christ and Christ alone. Christ is everything, Christ is all, and in all who believe. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no, none, uh, none other he- uh, name under heaven given among men whereby must, we must be saved. No other name. 
but the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Anointed One. No other name. And remember this, it is Jesus Christ who initiates our salvation. He initiates it in John 15, verse 16, the very first phrase, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. But it's that first phrase, you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you. Jesus Christ not only initiates our salvation, he mediates it. He mediates it for us. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5 Paul says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Not only does he initiate and and mediate it, he also gives salvation, doesn't he? Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done. There it is. Stamps it right down. Not by any work of righteousness which we have done. There's no good in us, remember. No good, no. There's none good, no, not one. You read it in the book of, uh, in the book of Romans, but it's, it's taken from the Old Testament. It's taken from the book of Proverbs. There is none righteous, no, not one. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy. He saved us by by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so, we put verse 11 and verse 24 together of Colossians 3, and what does it tell us? That Christ is all and in all, and therefore serve ye the Lord. If Christ is all and in all, if he is everything to you, and if he is in you because you are risen with Christ, you seek those things which are above, you set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth, you come to the realization that you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God, and when Christ appears, so shall you also appear with him in glory. If this is you, then today serve ye the Lord. And it doesn't matter what it is that God wants you to do. Go and pick up one of those bags that serve those children in Juarez. Yeah, that's something you can do. We need to get rid of those bags right away before even second service comes. We'll give them something else to do. People who serve you by opening the door when you get here. A door opener. You know what? They're serving the Lord. They're They're not just serving you. When cries go out to say, hey, listen, we need people in the children's ministry to help out. Go serve, because you know what? You're serving the Lord by serving those children and those families. But don't wait for somebody to tell you, listen to what God is saying. If you are risen with Christ, serve the Lord. And finally, I'm getting excited here and I'm looking at the time. I could go on for another hour and a half. But I won't. Finally, Jesus Christ keeps us. He keeps us in that faith. And he keeps us on that path. I want to close with this. 
Jude 1, verse 24 and 25, there's only one chapter in Jude, the, the little book right before Revelation. Verses 24 and 25, he says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. But Christ is all and in all. Therefore, serve ye the Lord Jesus Christ. Serve him. And what a wonderful month to kickstart that. A month where a lot of people are depressed, a lot of people are hurting. It may be a better economy for many people, but there are still those who struggle. God wants you to open your heart for them. And not for a mere pittance. God has provided to us so that we can provide for others. We saw that in the texts last couple of weeks. Now I have to ask you, are you encouraged? Well, that was really not encouraging to me. <laughs> are you encouraged? Okay, good. I'm not trying to prompt you, but I'm just saying, wow. Because last night, too, here, even here, I just like, and I kept thinking, okay, I know it's a heavy message, but but don't we need to hear it? Okay. Praise the Lord.